Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. I'm extremely excited and honored today to have Elise Lunin on the show. Elise is the Chief Content Officer of Goop, the highly successful lifestyle platform founded by Gwyneth Paltrow. Goop is dedicated to keeping its readership informed and inspired with tightly curated content and products. Lunin is also the co-host of the Goop podcast, Goop's popular summit franchise in Goop Health, and the co-star of the Goop Lab, Goop's Netflix show. Welcome, Elise. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And a, a little plug, if people haven't listened to the podcast or watched the show, the show is phenomenal. I loved it. No, thank a lot you. of the topics that you talked about were things that I've straddled on this show. So if people are interested in kind of seeing a little bit more sometimes about what these experiences look like, that's a great place. And we've all got more time for Netflix right now. So <laughs> Exactly. Oh, if ever there was a time to watch yep. the Cube Lab, it's now. Yeah, now's the time. If you missed it, it came out in January, right? Yeah, that... the end of January, which feels like forever ago, but was really not that long ago. But I know a different it, lifetime. It, it really does. I wanted to talk today about your experience with loss and spirituality. Mm -hmm. And I know you lost your brother-in-law and best friend, Peter, when he was in his late 30s. And this really shook you to your core. Can you tell me about that experience? Yeah, Peter. So I guess the practicalities are that, or just to give people an understanding of our relationship, Peter and my brother, Ben, met their first week, if not first day of college. And my brother had, had come out of the closet in high school. And it took Peter uh, a little bit longer, but they became instant best friends and ultimately have been together pretty much since they were 19, maybe. Never been able to actually get a concrete date. But they had an amazing relationship. And Peter was, he was just one of those incredible, and I know it sounds so silly to say, but he was just an incredible person. And the fact that he's not here is just insane to me because he was, sort of that keystone for everyone. Everyone thought that he was their best friend. And my brother and I have always been close. We're actually much closer now since Peter died, which is, I'd say, one of the silver linings, maybe the only silver lining. But at the time, Peter sort of intervened and became my primary brother. And he was just so much better at it than my own <laughs> brother. And I was at boarding school near, they were at Harvard, and I was at boarding school nearby and they would come and see me all the time I would go in like many weekends and I became their permanent third wheel for decades and we lived all lived in Manhattan together and Peter was my we would travel together my brother's a big bird watcher so my brother would go on his own journeys and Peter and I would go on trips together and he was always interested in me and always had time for me and, and he was just one of those I wasn't the only one like I think this happens at funerals of young people, of course, but at his funeral, 
there were probably between 1,500 and 2,000 people. That's huge. Huge. Just like he just touched so many people's lives. He was so generous, so interested, so kind, so funny, kind of wicked in his own way. So yeah, to, to lose him and my brother, like I would have rather lost almost anyone else pretty much except for like my own children, but his loss is incomprehensible. And he died. He had a very beautiful and sudden death. He was 39 years old. He and my brother were at Peter's older brother's wedding in San Francisco. He had just seen his whole family. Everyone was in town and Peter died in the middle of the night. He had a heart murmur. He had a heartbeat like that had been diagnosed. Like I'd gone with him to Montana. He'd been under the care of a, um, he'd been studied at John Hopkins and he was on beta blockers and that's not what killed him. And he had just been to his cardiologist and done blood work like 20 days before he died. And they were talking about taking him off the beta blockers, but he had this undiagnosed autoimmune disease called Loeffler's endocarditis. And it ended up taking us months to get the autopsy because they didn't know what it was. And they were like, and it was so wild, and that I don't want to jump around and confuse everyone, but I spoke to Laurelyn Jackson mm-hmm. before we had the autopsy results, and she was like, it was his heart. And I was like, yeah, I had a heart defect. And she's like, no, that wasn't it. Like, his heart exploded. And that's pretty much what they said. The coroner was like, his heart was a mess. Like, it was just, it, it could not sustain life. And that... um and it was wild. It came out of left field. He, he had no idea. He had done Barry's boot camp that morning. And what an interesting way to die for someone who it sounds like heart was just so big, right? Yep. It was just like explosive with love and light. And it sounds like everybody who knew him was just magnetized to him in that way. Totally. And and yeah, my brother made, my brother delivered his eulogy and gave that sort of he was like you know Peter gave his heart away like literally like he literally gave it until it could give no more his point I think it was the saying I loved it was Peter was so generous that and he always felt like you should give until it makes you feel just a little bit uncomfortable and then you know like you've given enough mm. I love but yeah it was it was a colossal it was a mat it was just an impossible it was impossible to sort of understand it. Yet at the same time, I had, I felt by virtue of being at Goop and some experiences immediately around it, like I had been prepared for his death. My soul had prepared me, which was so wild and only apparent in retrospect. But prior to his passing, I don't know, a few months before, you know, when you accidentally flag an email for follow-up, so I was going, I was going, I didn't use that function. Now I use it all the time, but I didn't use it at the time. And I saw that this random email had been flagged and it was from Outer World, I think it's called Outer World Radio. I was like, what is this? And I had been conditioned enough by my time I goop to feel like nothing's really a coincidence. And if something's flagged for me, I should look. Right. So I open it and it's just wacky, like just wackadoo. It's, it's this kind of a psychic network. I've never gotten an email from them since. And it's like, who was, who was Ann Curry channeling? And who was Abraham Lincoln really just like random. And I was scrolling through it. I'm like, what's in here for me. And I saw that there was a, a radio interview with Dr. Jeffrey Long 
um, an oncologist, he, you probably know, who created that repository of near-death experiences. Near-death experiences, yep. Yeah. And so I listened to his interview and I was like, this is fascinating. And I had been working on a package for many months around the practicalities of death because it's the thing that none of us want to talk about, but it is the one, the one certainty in life that we're all going to die and no one's prepared. So it was about life insurance and all the things that regardless of your age or health, like you should be on top of as a responsible adult. So I was working on that package sort of in the background. And so I listened to this and I'm like, this is so interesting. I need to know more. And so I called in his book and the, the publicist was like, I've been trying to reach you and you need to read Sam Parnia's book called Erasing Death. And we made a plan to meet up. And, um, and then I started going through my bookshelves and we get hundreds and hundreds of books, like pretty much a day. And I pull out Laurel and Jackson's book and I'm like, that's interesting. And then I pull out even Alexander's book and I'm like, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I had made this pile of books to take home, but I'd listened to Jeffrey Long's interview. I was going to take this pile of books home on a Friday. My kids came to the office and I got distracted and I forgot them. And then Peter died on Sunday. And so oh, God, I have the goosebumps all over. Crazy. So when I got back to my office, I left Sunday morning to go to San Francisco with nothing. And then I didn't get home. I went with my brother from there to New York where Ben and Peter lived and my brother still lives. And then I didn't come home for weeks. And so um, when I came back, that pile was waiting for me. But even in, in San Francisco, I had this sense. I was like, he's, I know he could, he's still here. Mm -hmm. And my brother always had that foundational belief and, and so did Peter's mother. And then like the signs just started coming. But you come from a family of more conventional medical healers, yeah. right? Yeah. As do I. So yeah. when I had my experience, I was like, oh boy, how does this fit in? So how did it, cause your, your father's um, MD, right? Yep. How did this all sort of unfold and transpire with your family and the things that were happening to you? Yeah. I mean, growing up, I had definitely a very, I didn't even have a conception really of death, just that it was a, a physical event. And I guess you'd call it the materialist point of view, like you die and you go into the ground. When I came to Goop, I'd sort of been exposed to intuitives. I never, you know, grandparents had passed, but I didn't have anyone and like a few friends in childhood, but nothing that really touched me in a significant way. And so I had talked to intuitives and I'd always felt like I'd been in conversation with the universe to some extent that I had an ability to manifest or make things happen or put things in motion. And, and it was fun but I never had any reason to go deep until the death of Peter. And, and then Peter's mother is Catholic and she just has that foundational faith. And so spending so much time with her in the immediate aftermath, she was just so certain of Peter's presence. And, and I certainly wasn't shut down to that idea because I think it's a beautiful idea. Like it's a far more preferable idea. It's a very comforting idea. And so but I didn't really know. And then I got in touch with Laura Lynn Jackson's publicist as for part of this package. And, and to be honest, I was like, I mean, I would die to talk to her, but I didn't want to overtly ask her. Mm-hmm. And I was planning on being in the Hamptons for an offsite. And so, and she lives in Long Island. And I was like, would you, is she ever 
is she around? Like, could we, could we do something with her for the site? And so I got on the phone with Laura to talk to her. This was out in the Hamptons just to interview her. And then halfway through, she was like, there's someone here, like he's very <laughs> strong and insistent. Do you mind? And I was like, of course not. Like desperate. Right. And I mean, it was the most incredible. It was, it changed my whole life because once you really have a different foundational belief in like this idea that we're, 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 we're permanent beyond this body, that we have a bigger purpose, that we, it just changes, it changes everything. Right. And mm-hmm. the, the reading was so specific and personal and so funny. It was the first time that I'd really laughed. Like she was telling me all of our inside jokes and he was making fun of me and making fun of my husband. And like, it was so wonderful and heartwarming and like weirdly not earnest. Um, And connected. And so connected. And it was, and I'd had enough experiences before that of just like coincidences and whatnot, where I was like, huh, like there's something there's, I felt like he was just sending me every sign that I asked for but to have that and it's honestly I've spoken to a few other mediums more to sort of understand or test their skill but I haven't needed anything else because his point in that reading and and her point is like you need to you can do this yourself keep talk like he was like just keep talking to me like I can't talk to you in the same way but I am actually more present more able to help you more connected and like, don't ignore me. I'm here. I haven't needed any more like direct telephone lines to him. I know I have conversations with him all the time. I know how he would, what he's saying effectively. And that's and been, how does, sorry, go sorry, ahead. Go. No, it's just, that's, that's been the biggest gift. How does he show up for you? Or how do you know he's showing up for you? This is funny because I, he, his family works in parking and he worked before he died his last job. He was the chief of staff for the, the one of the deputy mayors of New York city. And it was like in infrastructure and buildings and like, he's just, he's good at that stuff, but he's just an amazing connector. So I always ask him for help with parking. And <laughs> I also ask him when I'm like, I need money or I need a project. I ask him. It's funny though, because, we have a medium on staff at Goop. Our fashion director is also a medium. And he's come into my office to be like, Peter wants you to know, like, stop ask. He's like way too busy to help you find parking spots. <laughs> he like, doesn't want you bothering him with the, the menial tasks of life. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, ask him for the important thing. But that's, that's funny. But yeah, I just, I just put it out there. You know, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, when I feel like I need help, I, I don't even necessarily like direct it all specifically at Peter, although it's easy for me to do that. But it's more of a, like, I just speak it. I need help. I need this. This is what, like, I feel like I'm wanting or lacking or needing. And I don't know, maybe I'm doing it for myself. It doesn't really matter, but it, it feels like there's some response. Well, and I think the point that you make is so important and one that I try to make repeatedly is that you don't need someone to give you those messages. It validates your experience, but when you can foster that connection, it's so powerful. So powerful. And we all have the capacity. And 
I think it's just, it's just requires training to be able to distinguish like what's your, what's yourself and what's your ego, what's your voice versus someone else. And I think you can do it through automatic writing. You can just do it through dialogue. Sometimes I'll meditate and go to a room in their house in Connecticut with him and, Mm -hmm. and meet him there. He talks to me not as frequently as I would like, but sometimes in dreams. And then it's, it's more it's also just this like, and it's funny because Peter's death, I think, stripped me of my fear of dying in part, not only because I'm like, oh, there's somewhere to go, but like, I know he's going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I feel that way about my kids too. I mean, if something happened to my kids, I would be devastated. Like, I don't even want to think about it, but I know he'd be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's comfort in that. Yeah. And does your brother have experiences with connecting with him? Totally. I mean, he dreams. They, he dreams about him almost every night. It's funny. My brother has never had a reading. I mm-hmm. pass him stuff all the time. He just doesn't feel like he needs it. Mm-hmm. It's so. It's really interesting. He doesn't. He has, and it's. He's not that guy. He never st- struck me as that person, but. He he's feels completely and totally tapped into Peter. So at times I'll be like, I sent him a message from someone I met that was like, Peter's talking about the JP Cafe and the the Edward Bar and how you're going to be um, this baby's librarian. And he was like, that's so funny because we went to the JP Cafe and now a place just opened across the street called the Edward Bar and. Peter's brother just had a baby named Peter and my brother was Mm. telling Peter's mom that he would be the the baby's librarian. So it's like fun. Those those validating things. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like done. What, what are you going to do with it? Right. It's about the ongoing connection. Right. Right. And really internalizing that, that conversation and that belief for your own, I think, growth and, and development. So You've been at the, speaking of growth and development, you've been at the forefront of opening people up more to their intuition in this way and connecting to loved ones who have passed. What has that been like personally and professionally? So it's interesting because I almost feel like there are two camps. There are the people, there are three. It's like, there are the people who are like, oh my God, of course, like I've always known this and, and this is how I operate and thanks for making it more mainstream and and then there are the people who are persuadable, curious, open, like eager, I'd say, for those connections. And then there are the, the third who are like, F off. Like, this is total BS. Who see harm, harm in it? It's interesting and to me. And so I'm like, hostile about it, so too, hostile. right? It's never like, that's just not for me. It's like... So hostile. And it's like, really, too, like, this idea that... You know, we got some of this feedback to our, to the show. And, and we had, as you know, an episode with Laurel and Jackson, where it was, which was bananas because she was teaching the team how to be intuitive. And like the stuff that came out was wild. And but, I'm sure even more stuff than you were able yeah, even to show. Totally. And she, but the feeling is like that somehow that's um causing delusions in people or manipulating people and as Caitlin in the show says like if I feel more if through this I feel more connected to my dead mother like what is the harm in that 
like, why is that so wrong or offensive to people? And I don't know what that is. I don't know whether it's so, it's so challenges material, like the Newtonian idea of medicine and matter on matter. And, and that's so challenging that people can't, don't want to wrestle with it or what, but it, it strokes some deep trigger point about life when it's like, God, how can this be anything but positive, really? Well, and I think in the show, you you showed that it's not perfect, right? It's not an exact science. Yeah. Laura Lynn was sitting with one of your staffer, your the people yeah. on your staff, and she what nothing was coming through for her, but there was stuff coming through for someone else who was in the room. And I thought that that was a really genuine depiction of somehow, sometimes how this goes is that it's not it's not an exact science in the way that we think of science, but that doesn't mean it's not real. Yeah, and I thought that that, I loved that moment for a number of reasons. Um, a, because again, and, and, and I think too, people will sometimes, you know, they'll encounter uh, an intuitive and they'll get maybe a kind of crappy reading. People have different skills. It's not, it's not like a plug and play computer program. People, some are more experienced or more adept at translating than others. It's a game of charades. It's a different, it depends on what the sense is that people are gifted in. Um, But it's so, we're so funny how we have to be like so binary. Like it's perfect and therefore correct. Or it's, there were some inaccuracies, therefore it's not real. And that somehow anything in between is unacceptable is just funny. It's the same way that we like to believe like some people are all bad and some people are all good. And clearly that's, we're all, we're all some version of shadow and light. And but yeah, it's inter- but I also love the Anna reading as well, because it shows, you know, Anna was, is deeply skeptical and wanted to sort of just the whole time was like kind of negging the experience and was like, I'm not, I don't believe in this. I can't do this. I don't like this. I think it's Santa Claus. And so it was also interesting because I think her, I think she was impenetrable. Like, I think she it's sort of, if you're open, you're going to get, you're going to get stuff. And if you're not, Mm -hmm. you're not. And there's no, no right or wrong way to be. But for those of us who want to feel deeply connected, it requires a certain openness. And so I thought that that also was like a beautiful example of, of that. Well, and if it heals, to your point, why does it matter how exactly you get there? And I think it's interesting, too, to think about we don't say science is so wrong. I mean, right. in the time of COVID, right? Like every day there's new information that's coming out and it's not, we're not saying, well, those scientists have been so wrong about everything. We're taking each thing as it comes. And yet when it's something in in a more intuitive spiritual space, we question it yeah. with such intense rigor. It's crazy. And science, and we, we, we treat science like capital, capital S science, like it's a religion sometimes. And actually scientists don't really do that. It's kind of, it's, 
some I'm sure do, but many recognize that it's an evolution and that we're learning more every day and things that we thought were sacred were disproving. And even in the best case, in the application of medicine, they're beating the placebo effect, but very rarely is it like, wow, slam dunk, this works for everyone. This is un unequivocally true. Everyone's individual. We all have our own unique biochemistry. Some things work better. I mean, look at I mean, COVID is a perfect example. We don't know why some people have those cytokine storms and why their, why their immune system is overreacting and, and drowning them effectively. Like, we don't know. We're, we're at the very beginning of understanding it. It's all a mystery. So, and we, we have more like scientific language around matter and some things that we can't see. That's the other thing that's really interesting to me. We're completely comfortable accepting that, that like an MRI or one of these other energy-based technologies that allows us to look inside bodies. We're very comfortable with those as being effective tools for diagnosing and seeing things that we can't see. And yet we deny this idea and we're very comfortable with the internet and phone like all these things that are miraculous and yet the idea that we could exist as energy that we're energetic beings and that we're inhabiting these physical bodies and driving these machines these meat meat jackets is so strange but it's the only <laughs> thing that makes sense when you think about it that 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 something is enervating us and that we're enervating this thing. It feels much more real to me than like I emerged out of a scramble of cells and like here I am. Well, and you see probably, um, you know, you get emails all the time, I'm sure, because you also do not just, I mean, what you explore on Goop isn't just about life after death. You explore, obviously, every realm of wellness and well-being, but a lot in the in the world of energy healing yeah. and psychedelics. And so I'm sure you see a lot of resistance and anger around yeah. opening people up to healing. Yeah. But it's interesting too, what I also find, and I think some people, again, it's like are so resistant, they're, you're never going to change their minds. But the middle third, and I was in that third, before Goop, where I, I had no fixed opinions really about any of it for, for certain. But all it takes is one experience, you know, getting Reiki or doing some sort of energy healing or having something that can't be explained. And then when people have that themselves or like a, an amazing medium or, or an astrology reader or something that's like, where you're like, of, of course. And then you're like, but how would that person possibly know that just takes mm -hmm. one and then you're like wait it forces you to question the way that you know that you think about these things and the other the other thing that I think is so powerful that even if death is just darkness right it's just a black hole which I, I don't believe that it is it a lot it's like it, it remakes your whole closet like it remakes the way that you think about your whole life in a way that's so powerful so so much more empowering than simply being like oh I'm on some physical spectrum and I do this thing and it doesn't really matter and the only way it might matter is if I have kids and like bye 
Yeah, I mean, if 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 your con exactly if your consciousness spans beyond just this, and you think about the concept of life reviews and what it means to grow your soul, then this life matters so much. Yeah, and every minute matters, and every opportunity, mm-hmm. every, and it explains like those those relationships that you have when you're like, wow, we've been here before, or you are really here to teach me a lesson because I can't stand being around you or whatever it is. It just like, it creates, it's just a much better, it's a much more productive filter to, to mm-hmm. want to believe that everything has meaning to some degree and, and to look for the positive meaning or the opportunity for growth rather than like judgment and damnation. So after all of this, what do you feel like, you know, for sure? I feel like I know for sure that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. I think what we're trying to overcome in this life is those feelings of separation and sort of clawing our way back to feeling connection and that we're all part of the same thing, that we're all the same, that there's a lot, that this is kind of heaven. And I know it's hard and full of struggle, but... I think that our relationship to that struggle is what makes it feel extra hard, not so much the things that emerge in our path that we have to overcome. And I think when we open our eyes to it, it's, it's, so, it's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Elise, for your time today and for what you're doing in this world and for spreading this information because it's, I believe, so important to people's growth for exactly all the reasons you said, because when you can embrace death and really kind of look it in the eye, it's not scary and it frees you in so many ways to live more fully. Totally. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.